it's interesting. I'm going to interview myself. Though actually, it's going to be more of a discussion with you. We're going to go into the world that God created when I realized that there was a need to have the talk with your teen about suicide before you think it's needed. And what happened after that led to this. It's not easy to talk about. That's the storyline of my brain on the topic of suicide, especially the topic of teen suicide. It's not easy to talk about. It wasn't easy to talk about 24 years ago when my daughter first tried to kill herself. And it's not easy to talk about today, but I must. I must find a way to have this talk with you so that you can help your teens have this talk with their friends. Why? Because the silence is killing us. The silence around suicide leads to a fear around suicidal thoughts. The silence around suicide leads to stigma. It heightens the stigma that we already have around anything that is mental, anything, mental health, mental wealth, mental illness. None of those words actually describe what goes on inside someone's head when they are in that place of dying is better than living. Ceasing to exist is more attractive than seeing what might happen that maybe this will pass. We know that it will when we have the perspective of adulthood, but kids don't know that it will. They don't have the perspective of time and they're missing part of their brain. I know that nobody told you this when your kid was born, but your kid was born missing part of their brain, meaning the prefrontal cortex. It takes time for that to physically show up in the brain, like around 12 years. And then it takes more time for that to actually become fully functional, like another 12 years. So we're looking at fully functional brains not showing up until somebody's already out of college. And we wonder why we're struggling. So we're all struggling with this. We're all struggling with the effects of expecting the brains to work as a teenager the same way that they do as an adult. And so here's what happened. On August 3rd, 2019, my daughter Stephanie broke the silence. She gave a talk. It was a beautiful, hot, sunny day. The morning of her talk, early in the morning on the outskirts of Sarasota, Florida was already hot. Beautiful sunny day. I walked into the hotel to the conference room and greet the 12 speakers that I've trained to deliver messages that matter. Everything worked that day. The videographer was set, the PowerPoint, the projector, the microphone, it all worked and the audience came in and took their seats. 
Stephanie was getting into that nervous, excited state you get into right before you give a talk. Oh my God, she looks amazing with her dark blouse and flowery skirt and her hair pulled back in combs. I am super proud of my daughter. She's first up on the speaker's roster. The lights dim. Everyone help me welcome Stephanie Ashton. Stephanie walks confidently to the front of the room and shakes my hand. She starts her talk with 3,000 teens will attempt to take their own lives today in the US. In the back of the room, I'm stunned twice. First, because I had no idea the number was that high. And second, I had no idea suicide was her topic. Stephanie continued, when I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom. The pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. That pain was more than I could bear. I took a razor and cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. In the back of the room, I feel the blood drain from my face at Stephanie's big reveal. Have you ever been hijacked by a bad memory? Only my 30 years of stress management training keeps me from crawling into the corner and just bawling. Stephanie continued. It wasn't my only attempt. There were others. I've never really talked about it outside of professional help, not even with mom. Mom and I talked around it, but not about it. It was too painful, too awkward, too easy to avoid. Mom and I had the other talks. Yeah, mom and I had the talk about sex. Mom and I had the talk about drugs. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol. Then I went to college on a dry campus. That means the kegs were hidden in the showers of the girls' dorm. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol more than once, but we didn't talk about suicide. I still struggle with suicidal thoughts. In the back of the room, my heart sank. I went from pale to bone cold as I realized the struggles that my daughter faced alone because I hadn't had the courage to have the talk about suicide. Stephanie wound up her talk. Along my suicide avoidant journey, I've learned tons of coping skills. Now I wanna teach these skills to teens before they need them. Yes, before they need them. Stephanie, oh my God. 
there wasn't a dry eye in the house when she finished. Everybody stood up, gave her a standing ovation. People rushed up and hugged her and thanked her for being so willing and so brave and so vulnerable, so willing to share. In the back of the room, I was frozen. Totally torn between pride for her bravery and guilt and shame for my cowardice. Then it hit me. 3,000 teens attempt to take their lives every day. That means 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived. That means every day over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live the guilt nightmare. That means hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, boyfriends, girlfriends, neighbors start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived every day, all probably just as blindsided by it as I had been. And then I wondered, what if Stephanie was right? What if the key to stopping teen suicide was to have the talk about suicide before you think it's needed, before your teen begins to struggle with suicidal thoughts? <laughs> Something so simple and obvious that professionals have tripped over it. You know, simple and obvious, like putting wheels on luggage or putting ketchup in squeezable bottles. Simple and obvious. After that event, Stephanie and I decided to work together. Who knew that was possible? Along with her sisters, we founded the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. We started teaching parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, we started understanding that suicide prevention, it's not about intervention. It's not about at risk anybody. And it's not about waiting for signs. It's prevention. It means having the talk before you think it's needed. And we've seen amazing things happen. Raphael shares the stories. He works with underprivileged teenage girls. He shares that 16 lives have been saved because of this talk. Tammy had the talk with her troubled son. They cried together. He agreed to get to accept professional help. And what I realized is that as good as those stories were, they weren't enough. They weren't enough because I was still focused on who needs this, who is at risk, who are the underprivileged. I mean, it was still that continuing focus on what's basically the area, the realm of intervention. And then 
I started hosting the suicide prevention show. And I started realizing that what was needed was pure prevention, not just having the talk with a kid who's struggling or with a kid who's in a group, but, but literally going to having the talk before it's needed. How do you know you're before it's needed? Well, guess. If you're not getting them intervention, then you probably believe you don't need to have the talk. And I'm here to tell you that you do, but nobody wanted to hear that. That's what I learned. There were very, very few people who were willing, even with a script, even with a simple four question script and a, and a plan. It was a plan, the, the talk to stop suicide is a planned talk. So started teaching it to small groups of people. And I wondered, why am I not getting more traction with this? So I taught the talk to stop suicide. And I realized that I had to change how people invited, who they invited to have this talk. So we created a really simple invitation. It goes like this. I'm studying to be part of the mission to stop teen suicide. I have a script I need to practice five more times this week. Would you have 10 minutes tomorrow that I could practice my script with you? Sounded so simple. I thought, wow, this is going to go like hotcakes. Everybody is going to go and have these talks and it's going to be amazing and we're going to change the world and found out that people weren't making that simple request. They, whatever it was that was in the way, I hadn't figured it out yet. I kept thinking I would make it easier and easier. Along the way while teaching, we realized that there were more scripts. There's the talk to stop suicide, absolutely. But what about the real problem? The real problem is negative thinking. The real problem is getting a negative thought and being afraid of it, like the thought that I can't take this anymore. And you're afraid of the thought. So you try not to think about it. That's like me telling you, don't think about an elephant. You're actually struggling to not think about it and you're thinking about it more. I call it doubling down on the thought. And the more you double down on the thought, the more your subconscious mind pays attention because it knows it's important to you. What ends up happening is that negative thought becomes like an echo chamber in your mind at a subliminal level. And your subconscious mind, your other than conscious mind is uniquely designed to get you what you're thinking about what it thinks is important to you. And it decides that by what you're thinking about. So here's the truth. This is the law of attraction in action because when you're struggling not to think about a thought, you're thinking about it more. Your subconscious mind pays attention and starts looking for opportunities, creating plans to get you what you want to bring about what you're thinking about. And all it takes subconscious plan crosses opportunity. And this is why they've installed jump nets on bridges. 
the impulsivity of the teen years fights against them in this arena. They are more likely to take action without even knowing why than an adult would because we have that pause button of perspective. We question our thoughts. We haven't necessarily learned how to help teens question their thoughts yet. And when I realized that if I couldn't talk about my daughter's multiple suicide attempts with my daughter, maybe this whole topic of suicide is something that parents are um, viscerally incapable of talking about, really challenged to talk about. So I'm gonna fast forward just a little bit because this is coming out a little more jumbled than I had intended. So. Just bear with me, I'll bring it back around, I promise. The second script we created was the script to stop negative thinking. And then we did the script to address that other scourge, the one that everyone talks about and points all the fingers at as though it's the problem, it's the symptom, and it's about bullying. So we created the talk to stop bullying and then the other symptom that we all have seen, and maybe you've even struggled with this one yourself, it's about self-sabotage. So we created the talk to stop self-sabotage and we teach these all together, the award-winning suicide prevention advocate training. And while it sounded good in theory, the talks all work, the scripts all work. There's nothing theoretical about the impact of these scripts and the flip sides that go with them. But it's not an easy sell because it has that suicide word in it. And parents who I thought were my target market. And if you've ever been an entrepreneur or into sales, you know the value of knowing who you're actually trying to talk to. I had thought it was parents. I was wrong. And it's only been recently that we figured it out. And it happened in an instant when I realized that the talk to stop teen suicide is designed to one, alert you when intervention is necessary. It's also built upon the way the teen brain works and it builds emotional resilience in both the teen and you. And that was how I explained it to adults. All of a sudden it hit me. If a teen is the one asking the questions, it still builds emotional resilience, the cure for all four of those things in both the teen who's asking the questions and the teen they're talking to. So now I had a solution, a way to help build emotional resilience across the board, starting with teens, because teens are the ones that are the hardest hit when another teen takes their own life. And by the way, your teen knows someone who's tried or died. I will almost guarantee it. It is that big of a deal. So now we have the answer. And I still need to talk to you, the parents. I still need to talk to the adults here because I cannot teach the teens without your permission. So here's what they're gonna learn. The first script, the talk 
to stop suicide. The invitation? Hey, I just need to practice this. Give me 10 minutes, bro. Let's talk. Tomorrow, it's a planned talk. Nobody gets sidelined. And everybody knows the talk is about how to stop suicide because I'm part of the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past. So you sit down with someone and you say, okay, I got four questions for you. First question, have you heard about the rise in teen suicides? Closed-ended question for a reason. All my coaches on this call don't go into spasms. This is a scientifically validated test. Okay, here we go. Closed into question for a reason. Very precisely worded. So you have to read the script. Your teen is going to read these questions. Have you heard about the rise in teen suicides? Yes or no? The answer doesn't matter. Question two. Do you have a story? Do you have a friend who's tried or died? Closed into question. The answer is yes or no. Someone may tell them more information. It doesn't matter. Cool. Thanks for answering that. Third question. Have you ever thought of leaving that way? Again, it's a yes or no question. It's a closed-ended question. There is no probing here. Just yes or no. And the teen just checks the box and says, thank you and ask the fourth question. Why stay? What are your reasons for staying? And this is where they probe. This is the flip around in the brain question. Tell me more, what else? What other reasons? We coach our teen talkers into probing a lot here and not to share their own reasons for staying unless the other person asks. Keep it focused on your practice partner. Why stay? Tell me more. And for the teen who's the teen talker, not the practice partner, but the teen talker, they just write down whatever that person says. It's a very simple, very effective way of laying down new neuropathways in the brain. Both teens brains start to absorb the concept of there are reasons to stay. I wish I could tell you this was rocket science, but it's actually, you know, that this is some kind of magic. It's actually based in solid science. And it is so simple and so obvious that it's not shared anywhere yet. I don't know, uh, I couldn't find anything. Of course, I wasn't looking for pure prevention programs back in the day. I didn't know that there was a problem. There were no signs that I could see then before my daughter's attempt. And that's why I'm doing this. I don't want any other parent to be blindsided. But I realized, parents, you have to make a promise. If you want your teen to be part of the solution, you have to promise to let them practice with you. That's the first promise. And these are all spelled out for you. Um, it's an application. It's not every teen can come into the program. It is for ages 13 to 19. And any teen who wants to can apply if their parent fills out the application with them. It's a three minute application, so it's not intense. It has to be done together. Absolutely has to be done together. So 
That's the process. But let me tell you about the other scripts for just a minute. The script to stop negative thinking. Again, the invitation is exactly the same. Hey, I'm studying to be part of the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past. I've got a script on getting to know, like, and trust yourself. I need to practice it five more times this week. Can I practice with you? Would you make 10 minutes for me tomorrow? The know, like, and trust factor assessment, the team just walks this person through a bunch of questions that are just, you know, do you know your favorite sport? Do you know your favorite item of clothing? Do you know? How well do you know yourself? There's a section that identifies likable traits. So the teen, the practice partner, the teen is asking the question, write down the things about yourself that you like. Write down things that you like about other people that you could see in yourself. Building this awareness that they like themselves. And when it comes to trust, it's the same thing. It is simple questions about how well are you doing with your trust factor? You know, do, how well do you trust yourself to keep your commitments to yourself? How, and there's a series of questions here. How well do you trust yourself to keep your commitments to others? And there's no right or wrong. You can't do it wrong. And then there's the question of the year. Have you ever taken a test and scored something and then somebody comes along and says, why didn't you score yourself lower? No, that's not the way the question is usually asked, is it? Why didn't you score it higher? Don't you think better of yourself than that? That's an invitation to negative thinking. When the typical question is, why didn't you score it higher? Your brain goes hunting for all the reasons why you don't know, like, and trust yourself more. This is a beating up yourself scenario that we do not allow. So our question's a little different. Our question at the end is, why didn't you score it lower? Now, the brain of the practice partner is going searching through all of the file cabinets in their mind for reasons that they know, like, and trust themselves, for the evidence that this is wonderful stuff. This also lays down new neuro pathways in, oh my, I know, like, and trust myself. And then there are some strategies to build that up a little bit. It is absolutely important. So what's really going on in the brain is we have these electrical things that fire all the time. They've proven, and I don't know how they did this, but they've proven that the majority of the thoughts that we think, and I mean like 90% are the same as what we thought yesterday. And that the vast majority of those, of all the thoughts are negative in nature. Having studied this, I understand that there's a natural negative bias in the brain for a reason. It's what kept our caveman ancestor, our common ancestor, Og, alive. But it works against us now. It kept Og alive because he could get up in the morning walk out of his cave, stretch, uh, see a shaking bush, and jump back in his cave. Why? Because his brain went to what's so bad about a shaking bush. 
That was the innate question. And the answer was my friend Larry got too close to a shaken bush and got mm, eaten by a saber toothed tiger. So the natural negative bias of the brain exists. How do you change that around is what each of these scripts does. And this one is just a beauty. By having your brain, which is a designed as a search engine, the ultimate search engine, telling it to go searching for all the reasons that you got this score is a way to work with your brain the way your brain was designed to work. We do that in the Why Not Workbook as well, which is one of the tools that all of the teens get trained in how to use if they want to do some bonus work because that's bonus material. And yeah, this course is fun because as they're doing their practice talks, they are part of a game. There's a competition. It is interactive, it is lively, and it is fun. And then we get to the talk to stop bullying. And we all get bullied, whether it's being intimidated on the ball field at recess, whether it's being pressured to perform in areas we're not gifted in, which is really common. We're going to be discussing that more in depth in another episode. Um, and actually, for those watching the recording of this, um, this is part of the suicide prevention show. So disclaimer, other episode, suicide prevention movement, YouTube is where you'll eventually find that. But let's come back here to this. Bullying. We all hear about it. Now we've got bullying and we've got cyberbullying. And what mostly is being discussed as a remedy is actually part of the problem. If the remedy is to try to put our children into spaces where they won't be bullied, we are missing an important piece about how the human brain and body work. If a child never skins their knee, their immune system never develops. If a child never gets their feelings hurt, their emotional immune system, their emotional resilience never develops. We are actually handicapping our children by not allowing them to have these experiences and giving them the skills to know, to absolutely know that emotionally they will bounce and never break. Building emotional resilience is the key to stopping the impact of bullying. And that's what we're about. We're not gonna go out and try to control a bully. We're absolutely going to equip the kids with the strategies around how to be bullyproof. But we're also going to use this opportunity to build even more awareness and emotional resilience so that bullies stop mattering so much. Because bullies are not going to go away. We will always have those people who get their emotional needs met by trying to trigger other people. It's part of the human equation. What we can do is build the emotional resilience in our teens to the point that a bully won't even mess with them because they know they're not gonna get their need met. It's not that my teen or your teen is so big and bad that the bully thinks they're gonna be beaten up. No, it's just that the bully knows they're not gonna get their emotional hit because the 
team with the most emotional resilience absolutely wins this game. So when we have the talk to stop bullying, it is the same scenario we're inviting people to practice with. The team walks them through the questions, the script, and in the process, both parties, the practice partner and the team talker, both of them build their emotional resilience even higher. And then we have the talk, the talk to stop self-sabotage. And self-sabotage is a thing. And we're never gonna make it a thing in the past either, but what we can do is change the meaning of it. And that's what the script does. The script to stop self-sabotage is actually based on leaving Shouldville. The precepts in the super, super simple leaving Shouldville. And so you're gonna get this right now. So Katie's gonna drop this into the chat so that you can get your own PDF of this card. Why? Because when there is this going on in your mind, you are less prone to self-sabotage. Self-sabotage is based, again, on the brain, the way the brain really works. If you've done something like wasted money, lost time, judge something is useless that you've read, had an experience of being intimidated or harmed by another human being, your brain starts to assign meanings to that. And you can end up in a pattern. And what self-sabotage really is, is setting yourself up to experience those same unhappy scenarios that you had in the past. That's all it is in my world. Now, this is the world according to Jackie. Self-sabotage is your brain's way of repeating patterns because there's an emotion attached to them. So psychoanalysis takes a lot of time, very expensive. What if there was a faster way? The talk to stop self-sabotage, to make peace with the past so that you can create a future without sabotaging it is as simple as these four statements on this card. And so we built a script based on these premise and it's really, really easy. So that is my gift for you. Print this out, post it, read it out loud. And here's why. When you make peace with your past, all of a sudden you're able to stay present. What does staying present with emotional resilience do for you? Prevents you from being traumatized when things don't go great when things go downhill, as they often will. Even when it's sudden and it's horrific, having these skills, having emotional resilience prevents it from becoming traumatic. It prevents it from becoming something that's triggerable later. Post-traumatic stress disorder is when your brain hijacks you back to an unhappy memory without your ability to control it. And this is one of the tools that helps you control it. This collection of four makes you, in my mind, suicide-proof. 
Now, that's a big claim and it could get me into a lot of trouble, but I'm going to put it to you this way. If you're using the tools of the Teen Talks program, if the teen is talking you through these scripts each time that they're learning a script, you become further away from the edge. You've got a bigger buffer between you and an edge you may not have even known you were near. And so does the teen. 20 talks, five for each of these scripts gives a really nice buffer. And they're gonna save potentially 20 other people in the process. And we really don't care if they practice with the same five people for each of the four scripts, that's cool. We're good with that. Why? Because they are still having the experience themselves. And that's our goal. Yes, they're going to help suicide proof their friends, going to paint their friends with a little bit of emotional Teflon. And in the process, they're going to be coding themselves with emotional Teflon. They're gonna be building emotional resilience. They're going to be further away from the edge. So thank you. The application, like I said, is super simple. And it's gonna be in the chat for you. And I hope that you will go to it and fill it out with your team. Now, you cannot fill this out for yourself. Oh, wait a minute, I forgot to address something. The elephant in the room. Jackie, tell me more about the structure of the program. Okay, the program is eight weeks. We spend one week learning the script. They go out and practice with their family. We come back and we review all of the things that have happened with the practice. What was easy? What went well? We work it through and then we go out and we practice it with the broader group. So while the first one might be with family and they're really close friends, the second week, they take that same invitation and they invite people that they don't know as well. They might invite their teacher. They might invite a classmate. They might invite the preacher. It does not matter the age of their practice partner. It only matters that they practice. So we spend two weeks on each script. That's a total of eight weeks for the program. It's 90 minutes. It's actually an hour, but I tell you, allow 90 minutes on your schedule for the team to allow 90 minutes on their schedule. And we will meet Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It starts the first Tuesday in July, which I believe is the seventh, might be the sixth. I have to pull out a calendar. Sorry, I didn't have that firmly in my mind, but it is the first Tuesday in July. And the cost. It's under the auspices of the teen, I keep pointing at this like it says Teen Suicide Prevention Society. It doesn't, it's my company, but this course is not part of my company. This course is under the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. So it's donation-based. It's whatever you and your teen decide. On the adult side, we have the course. And we actually deep dive more into the science with the adults. It's called Emotional Resilience Mastery. And so that course is available for the adults. And then we have this course for the teens. What is our mission? Our mission is to help each teen have 20 practice talks. If we teach 10 
teens to do this, we will impact 200 teens every eight weeks. If we teach 100 teens to do this, we will impact 2,000 other people every eight weeks. We can build a momentum here that will change the mindsets of potentially millions of people. And when we get to that level of energy shift, of mindset shift, of emotional resilience being the norm rather than the exception, I think it's possible to make teen suicide a thing of the past. So please grab the link, teen-talks.com. Grab the link, share this concept with your teens. Reach out to us if you have any questions. We are happy to help you. And you'll find that we're easy to reach through that form. So please help your teen apply, do it with them. Notice that parents have to make a promise. You have to promise to let the teen practice with you. And you have to promise not to nudge, ask, push, or in any way interact with them on how many practice talks that they do. This is important. This is a pressure-free environment. Just like with the donation, it's a request, not a requirement. The same is true for the practice talks. They are requests, not requirements. Why? Because while the potential is there for the teen to impact a significant number of other people, the reality is that by showing up for the class, by learning the script, by being exposed to it, by being walked through it by me, by the other teachers, by another classmate as they do some peer-to-peer -peer work. Their brain's getting the message. Yes, sneaky, isn't it? It actually gets the job done. And the practice talks are a bonus. So you don't have to nudge them. You don't have to worry quite so much about them. They're gonna get what they need from this course. That's my promise. Can I guarantee that your child will never struggle with suicidal thinking if they take this class? No, suicidal thoughts are normal. What I can guarantee is that they will have the resources. Their brain will have some neuro networks built out that might give them pause. And a pause is often all you need. So, Thank you very much for being with me for this talk, for being willing to be part of the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past, and for being willing to expose your children to the idea that they're designed to bounce and never break. Thank you.